welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Career Opportunities. opportunities, pathological liar Jim Dodge, played by Frank Whaley, can't hold a job and his parents are sick of boarding him for free. Before kicking him out, Jim will have one more chance by working at Target as the overnight cleaner. Alone on the job and locked in the store, it's tough to take work seriously. It's even tougher when he discovers that his crush, Josie McClellan, played by Jennifer Connelly, has been hiding in the store. Screenplay by John Hughes, directed by Brian Gordon, and released on March 29th, 1991. I'm assuming you've seen Career Opportunities before. Yeah, I've seen it a lot. Uh, I think people may or may not be too surprised to learn that I have not seen it, (laughs) considering my history (laughs) on this podcast. Yeah, this is my first experience, which is kind of odd. I mean, honestly, I was late to the party on a lot of the John Hughes stuff, aside from Home Alone and Uncle Buck. I didn't watch Ferris Bueller until, like, late high school. Wow. Uh, Breakfast Club, not till late high school either. Pretty in Pink, probably not even till like, early college. I don't know. Like, there are a lot of his classic movies I just never bothered with, and they weren't part of my childhood. Um, we watched Weird Science together, what, like, five years ago, and that was my first time seeing that. So, you know. Well, like, Sixteen Candles? Sixteen Candles, I think, was probably high school sometime. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, my, yeah, I, I didn't get into movies a whole lot um, until high school, like later in life. Uh, for I don't know, <laughs> that's not really later in life, but you know what I mean. Compared to others, I wasn't watching movies all the time, um, and so I missed a lot of the quote-unquote classics. And this was never one that came up on the list, especially when compared to other John Hughes movies. So it kind of continued to pass me by, even though I saw it on the video shelves all the time. And I think nostalgia probably helps this movie a lot. <laughs> I don't know. Looking at it yeah. now, I wasn't all that excited about it. I don't know. It wasn't, um, it's not my favorite John Hughes movie, that's for sure. So I think people who grew up with it would have like a better, I don't know, perception blinded by nostalgia perhaps but this is very sloppy to me um a lot of stuff that happens in this does not make sense it's not as fun and it's not as comedic as some of the other movies for me so i don't know well what did you think did it hold up from what you knew in the past um or what did you think about it in the past I, okay, I mean, this wasn't, uh, this is not one of my favorite John Hughes movies. I mean, I used to watch it, but I think the reason why I liked watching it was because I thought it was cool to be stuck in a store alone at night. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, 
like the, that uh, appeals to me as an 11 year old watching this exactly and so that's what i'm sort of saying about the nostalgia thing like you have at that era you have like the toys r us fun run type of mentality yeah and okay now i'm alone in target and i can sort of do whatever, do whatever I, want. I want and that's um and that would be a huge I'm... part of the appeal right and that's the only because i have not seen this movie since maybe high school so it's been like 20-ish years and i mean i remember the um like the robbers but i was like when do they come like when we were watching this i was like when do they come in because i feel like the first hour of the movie is just you know frank whaley doing his shit yeah (laughs) which is fun to me as a kid i was like this is cool watching him do like eating things off the shelves like making a mess and um like watching tv roller skating like playing music doing whatever and that's all i remembered about this movie and like as an adult i'm and watching I knew some there of were, those scenes i thinking, knew there was robbers because i was like i know something bad happens in this movie but i was like when is this yeah there has to be conflict right yeah um, and it's usually over the top conflict in some way with you know hughes movies you know like you have the ferris bueller car stuff and the weird chase scenes and things like that yeah and, um <clears throat> so yeah i mean when i was watching these scenes as an adult i'm thinking okay well he's gonna have to pay for all that merchandise he's opening and like destroying and stuff. yeah and so i'm there like goes he's his gonna salary, get... so he's just gonna get fired again yeah he's like, gonna this get is... fired again okay so it's temporary fun but like dude needs to get his act together or you know like is, is this going to be like coming of age story where he learns to take life seriously and take his job seriously the answer is no <laughs> right <laughs> definitely not <laughs> Yeah, watching it now, like him, he was making a bigger mess than oh, much bigger the mess that was already there. There is so much crashing into stuff in this movie and knocking down huge displays of things. Yes, and uh, yeah, n- watching it now, well, because after working at a grocery store. I'm, I'm like the anxiety <laughs> was like, oh my God, this is going to take like hours to yeah. clean. And, and it's like, he doesn't even do any of it. And even before all of that, right? Like it's even, yeah, before like, all that, all of the like paper and random stuff on the floors that he's sweeping up. Like I've never seen a I've store never that seen a store ever in my life. It looks like empty. It was like a hurricane went through that store it's like someone's just doing their taxes on random aisles and throwing away their receipts and every single little but it's like shopping or something there's so much random piles and piles and i'm like i'm thinking and then there's you know like empty boxes and things i'm like who's just leaving this stuff on the floor for the whole day exactly and and he doesn't do hardly any of it there's like a he does like a a corner yeah there's like a long cleaning montage of him like sweeping a little bit and doing like the buffing and like soaping up the floors and stuff like that and then he's like okay well it's been 15 minutes i got plenty of time to do all the rest of it and he just leaves piles of shit on the floor Mm. all over the place when literally it just seems like he could just sweep the aisles up and down really quickly and be done and but i mean there you know another 15 minutes and he's he's good and then he he could goof off for the rest of the night right yeah I was also thinking about what are his hours. Because well, he's locked there until 7 a.m. But 
So is it 12, like 7 p.m. to 7 a.m.? Yeah, whatever store closing is, I guess. I don't know. What, I'm assuming... They don't say what town it is. They don't, you know, indicate, but yeah. Well, I don't... Store like closing when stores close at maybe, what, nine. 7, 8, 9? So yeah. he's there about 10 to 12 hours, maybe? Yeah. Isn't that... I don't know. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> and then, but... I even wrote down that he he gets paid four forty four an hour, mm-hmm. and even before that, when he's getting interviewed, and you know John Candy, who is the manager, in an um, uncredited cameo, yeah, he's role. uncredited in this. Thinks he's someone else, for, and he thinks that Jimmy is gonna be applying as like an operations manager i guess yeah and they negotiate the salary and i was like that salary is pretty good yeah it's really (laughs) it's forty five thousand a year i'm like that's pretty that's really good for 1991 yeah for sure but yeah it's just a case of mistaken identity type of a thing that gets cleared up really quickly i think that and then like with like this kind of like don't tell mom the babysitter's dead too with like getting a job you know the same day yeah it, it even though like it's it pre-planned is... somehow right because like the dad is like you are getting a job here this is your last chance as if like they like already his dad know that... set it up yeah it's like he already knows that he's gonna get the job somehow and he didn't even apply well not he didn't even interview he just and then he didn't even apply like his dad was just like go talk to this guy and then this guy had his resume somehow. He probably filled out an application. We didn't see that part, like the, or maybe oh, the dad okay. did. Because yeah, he looked at the paper and he's like, "Oh, you're you're Jimmy uh, Dodge." Yeah. Oh, all I can offer you is night cleanup boy, four forty four an hour. Yeah. And that's it. And he's the only one there, and he's taught the job by a person who's credited only as custodian. Yeah. Played by William Forsyth in probably one of my favorite characters in the whole movie. He's um, in it for like three minutes. I know, and I wish like it, this is what I have a problem with the in this in this movie is that nothing really ties back up. Like they set up all these different things, and yeah, then nothing it comes show of it. What happens after he leaves the store? Like yeah, they never show like the why custodian's they have just a response quick scene? to seeing this exactly. Why not have that dirty shot? store still or like messed up, not even cleaned store. Yeah, yeah. They, it could have been a very simple thing. Could have been like a little like a punchline. Maybe is like extremely expected because you know we know like he's that the gonna, store was in complete he's disarray. Be mad. And yeah, gunshots and stuff all over the floor and whatever. But you know, just seeing the reaction would be interesting. Or seeing him get in trouble somehow will be interesting for leaving him alone. But yeah, it never happens. But while he's there. He's, you know, like this extremely tough guy, fast talker, you know, just very good, quick character. But it's not a funny exchange, like all the stuff that they're saying to each other. It's not humorous to me. He's just laying down the law. Right. And and then he's saying, yeah, I'm going to, you're going to be locked in this thing all night and I'm going to shut the lights off. And pretty soon the lights will kind of come back on. Like that was a weird thing too, where he's like, yeah, I'm going to, I have to turn off the lights. And Frank Whaley's acting as if he's going to be, like, afraid of the dark and, you know. Right. It, but then, yeah, in 25 seconds, basically all the lights are back on again. 
So I like, thought wow. he he just turned the lights back on instead because when the cop comes he's like i usually don't see this target sign on the outside on late at night yeah the outside light yes but it was like you know all the aisle lights yeah he off. i mean when the custodian and then, like, left it was like on a 25 second timer so i don't even understand what the point of that was when the custodian left he was like every third aisle is the light's gonna be on and that's what they overnight. said, but clearly every single light. But I thought he just like he was like, oh, I'm just gonna flip the switch and turn all the lights on because I don't want the lights off. Maybe he did. I don't know. Maybe I missed that part of it, but I don't know. It <laughs> again, weird exchanges, not very funny, and also yeah, doesn't make sense. So he's not allowed to go out the front door because he doesn't have the key because it's his first night on the job and. No one's going to get a key on the first night on their job. But, but he, he has access through the back, the back to dump gonna, the garbage. Yeah, he can... So, he can so he's not actually trapped. He can definitely leave. They just act like he can't until it's necessary for them to do so. For the plot reason. With the robbers and whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Things are not thought out all the way. <laughs> There's a couple more examples we can get to uh, as we go through this, too. So, yeah, it's kind of a long sequence of him alone in the store, just kind of doing whatever he wants. and I mean, montages of him, you know, roller pretending, skating. Yeah, and pretending then, to be what he isn't and, you know, like... Right, and then... Watching TV with a mannequin and stuff like that. and Dressing up in random clothes and whatever. And, yeah, just opening packages and mer- merchandise whenever right, he wants yeah, to. <laughs> he'll take, like, a piece of candy take a bite and then puts it back on the shelf i'm like oh my god <laughs> yeah and i'm assuming this is also a factor later on like stores had cameras back then right they were recording things i mean it's yeah it's a there's a 24-hour surveillance system in place in 1991 <laughs> but i don't know it's kind of glossed over as not a thing i guess yeah i mean that comes more into play in terms of like the robbers and you know people actually like having guns inside of a building Mm -hmm. um and they're not wearing masks at all so you know like even if they were to escape target yeah you can see them cops would know who they are are. yeah they would be able to see what's going on so i i don't know there's just some weird stuff going on i mean they're those robbers were just very they were very incompetent yes like i you see them sort of like throughout the movie just you know kind of staking the place out they were like "Mm, yeah kind of i mean the whole thing with the robbers is like i don't understand why they are there i don't know what their end goal is i i think they just wanted to steal all that merchandise and then sell it i have no idea (laughs) Because, I mean, that's what they were doing. Yeah. But I don't know why it had to... Yeah, I, I don't know why it had to be that specific store. Because it seems like they went a long way to get to that specific target. I, that's the, I mean, I don't know. I know it was like, you know, John Hughes movies. They're all like in Illinois. I don't know if this was like... I know it was filmed in Georgia, but I don't think it was meant to be in Georgia. Like the setting in the movie because there's like a part where his dad says something about going to St. Louis 
Yeah. It's like, so. either take this job or I'm going to put you on a bus to St. Louis or something. Yeah. And I'm assuming he was probably in some small town in Illinois and in the middle of, I don't even know, St. Louis and Chicago. I don't know. And the biggest store there is is this Target. And I don't, maybe these two robbers are like, well, this gigantic store is going to have a bunch of merchandise. Let's just take all the stuff from there. Yeah, I suppose so. I I think I just have problems with the way it was all sort of set up and how they were revealed to be in the store and what they did with the the two kids in the meantime. Right. Because there was no reason to do most of the stuff that happens in the movie. It's just, uh, yeah, again, trying to sort of make them bumbling idiots so that, you know, the young adults who are watching, the kids who are watching, can feel superior to these dumb criminals. Yeah. It's like I mean, wet bandits again. Yeah, it's Even though I think Home this Alone-ish. was written first. I think I read that this was written before Home Alone was uh-huh. produced, but it just wasn't made until after. But yeah, it's the same type of thing as like the wet bandits in Home Alone. It's, you know, they're dangerous, but they're dumb. And that's supposed to be part of the appeal and it's supposed to be part of the comedy. Before we even get to the robbers being in the store, of course, we have Josie in the store. Um, I I think we probably need to go back a little bit and set up her character. And we didn't really talk about what happens before Target too much. But I think one of the reasons why Frank is fearful of even getting this job at Target, because he doesn't want to. He thinks it's like this terrible thing when his dad drops him off. Mm -hmm. he's, He's really scared about the whole situation. And it's because he has these illusions of grandeur. He always is talking about him being higher and more important than what he actually is and talking about how he works with, like, the FBI. And yeah, you see Even though he's him... talking to, like, dogs, he's not talking to anyone specifically. Well, he's talking to the... There's, like, three young kids that yeah, he's yeah. always... Like, he, he wants to be no, like, known really, as this cool guy. He really wants the approval of these three young kids. <laughs> yeah. And maybe it's just because those are the because, only ones who will I mean, listen to his bullshit at this right, point. Right, yeah. Because, I mean, he, whatever, they're believing whatever he says. And he's they're like, wow, cool. Like, you're the coolest. And, I mean, that's what he wants to be known as. Yeah, and he doesn't like, want to be exposed person. by being seen in Target working this minimum wage job when yeah. he's talking himself up and whatever else. Meanwhile, the entire town knows that he's been fired from pretty much every job that he's ever been in. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, he just talks a big game and talks about stuff that just doesn't happen. Like, he sees Josie at the gas station because he's going there begging for a job. And the gas station owner is basically saying, Look, I would hire you in a second if I hadn't fired you so many times. Because, you know, they've had this relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he sees Josie at the gas station. They wave to each other. And then later on, he tells a couple different people, Oh, yeah, we had coffee together. So he just, like, takes it to the next step. It's like, right. oh, yeah, I saw her at the gas station. No, I didn't just see her at the gas station. We actually had coffee together. Mm-hmm. Well, and so he everyone's just want... sort of, like, sick of this stuff and doesn't like him believe lying. anything that yeah. he says. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, this, just, instead of saying, oh, I saw her at the gas station with me trying to get a job there. Because, yeah, Jim's sister is up... claiming that she left for New York, and he's like, no, no, I actually saw her. I physically saw her today. Yeah. That didn't happen. She has not left. But that's another, like, sort of missed opportunity is, like, you have this establishing, you know, setup of, of him being this pathological liar, 
why couldn't he possibly call the cops when these robbers come or something else? I, yeah, I know why he, he doesn't call the cops in the real terms of the story, but that could have been a plot point where he calls somebody and they say, oh, Jim, quit making up shit. And just do a boy yeah, like a wolf type a boy, thing. Yeah, a crying wolf situation. And then he still has to get rid of these robbers. Instead, but it just doesn't... He makes up a whole story where Josie is his hostage and he's like doing a drug bust. Yeah, that's the only way that it sort of factors in is that, yeah, he, he uses his ability to manipulate and lie to like his, temporarily his, get the one up on the robbers. Yeah, like this story, they believe this story and then Josie's like, oh, your lying is working. <laughs> and then, yeah, they lie back. The robbers lie back and that was stupid too. But yeah, we can talk about like, cause Josie is, I, she's the rich girl uh, of this town because her father uh, is, like, a real estate person. Like, he just owns, that's what I was getting <laughs> the impression. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I think so. I think he's sort of like a real estate baron of sorts. And when we're introduced to him, he's being visited by um, couple of lackeys of men. the governor uh, trying yeah. to convince him that a Japanese car manufacturer should be in the town. And he's basically, you know, saying, no, I don't want any non-American but, car Yeah, and I here. was like, uh... Like, that uncomfortable like, right. situation I mean, gets replaced by another by uncomfortable another situation. Uncomfortable. <laughs> so, um, in the, like, Josie walks in and, and he's like, oh, Josie, come meet these guys. And honestly, like, the first thing I wrote down is like, oh, he's using her as a tool because she takes off her, like, her jacket. She seems to know exactly what her dad wants her to do in being, like, sexual to get his way on, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's what I thought was happening is like, oh, she's using her sexuality to these older dudes. To get, like, a deal. To, yeah, to, like, basically deal made get his dad's way yeah. and get these government people off of his back or something. But it was... But no. The opposite. That was she, her, like, exerting her own control. She's just sick and tired of him telling her what to do, and she's just doing anything to rile him up, basically. Just yeah. to kiss him off. Yeah, and so she kisses so, one of the guys, like, on the lips. Yeah. And then shakes the other one's hand after he's expecting the, Yeah, the kiss. other guy is, like, <laughs> hoping so. to get kissed by her. And, I mean... But it's They're like, it's college <laughs> aged. She's the, college. Yes, the, aged. the main characters are. These two people are, are not. Like the, the two governor people are not. They yeah, are like forties. I'm I'm just yes. saying like she's not like this isn't like Twin Peaks or something. <laughs> sure. Yeah, she's In an adult <laughs> she's an adult that's being um sort of smothered and, and controlled by her father. Even but though still, she is of she's age like to really be out young. on her own if she wanted to be. Right. And yeah, I think that's... Uh, this movie in general tries to be more sexual. Uh, yeah. Tries to be more adult than what we had seen in other Hughes movies. Uh, and it's... it's. Yeah. I mean, for the most part. I know that there are, like, certain s segments. But, I mean, most of the time it's people in high school. And you have, like, right. these They're high school mentalities. and stories, they don't, mostly. They don't do a whole lot of alluding to sexual behavior. But this one does more frequently, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, with her her using her sexuality in this movie to get her way, yes. And just, yeah, it, it's very... A lot of the characters are 
much more lecherous than what you would see in other Hughes movies. You know what I mean? Yeah, just like the obvious. So it's not just pervy. a matter of like, oh man, I hope I get laid tonight. It's like there's like, tell me what you want me to do. And, yeah, the whole and interaction like, can with you dance her. With me? It's like, oh, I thought you were gonna ask for something else. Yeah, the whole like, that kind of stuff. That's not. Yeah, with her and the robbers is like uncomfortable. Yes. Especially because I mean. But she's using them. Like her, she's like, I know that I can do this. Yeah, because I've is, done it before. What, yeah, this is what she does. She's known as the tease, apparently, according to Jim, and Jim is known as the town liar, and they're both surprised at those monikers. Yeah, that they even got though neither throughout should be, I guess. school. I don't know. I mean, the, my favorite parts are just them realizing i mean that whole part with them when he finds well sees her and then they get to know each other because the whole like how come you never paid attention to me throughout basically my whole life because they knew each other from like kindergarten all the way through high school but she was like i never because he's like oh you know me and she's like i really don't know you Mm mm-hmm and he's like, but we went to school together from kindergarten to high school. How do you not know who I am? She's like, I know of you, but... Mm-hmm. And then the part where they're getting to know each other is what I liked. Yeah, it's the best part. <laughs> For sure. Because, yeah, I mean, it's it's a way to show that rich people and poor people have the same problems, but yeah, just they have different the perspectives. Same, yeah, they have the same insecurities. Like, huh... Because he wants, you know, he wants to be, like, this famous guy. Because there's parts where he see like, when he pulls up to the Target and he sees his name on it as Jim Get. Like, he's just mm. picturing himself as being famous somehow or rich. Sure. Yeah, again, yeah, pure illusions of grandeur and yeah. everything. Um, but, yeah, she's she has her own issues with her father and, and yeah being the sp- away. like the spoiled rich girl but i mean but not just like spoiled i mean there is the abusive side yeah of the things ab- too. Of her father but we don't i mean it's just like her father is just very controlling of her life right but we see the threats yeah we see the the threats of violence especially after he after she acts up with those governor people yeah so um so we have a reason to believe that she's not lying when she says that to Jim. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so there's that aspect of it. but And, yeah, the reason why she's there is because before, you know, the store is closing up, we see her shoplifting. Like, she's putting on clothes underneath her skirt and, like, putting stuff in her jacket. And then when he does find her, he's like, why are you here? And she was like... She tells him, like, I... She fell asleep in the fell dressing, asleep dressing room. Fell asleep in the dressing room, but she was trying... The reason why she fell asleep was because she was trying to figure out a way to not get arrested for shoplifting. Like, she was kind she of... She was just contemplating whether she should go through with it or not. Yeah, yeah. She yeah. Was, like, should I do this to piss off my father, or should I not? Because so, I think and... she wanted to get away with... She did, she did not want to get away with it. She yeah. was trying to... She wanted to get caught. She wanted to get caught for sure. Yeah. To stick it to her dad in in another way. Yeah. 
But, but yeah, she she's... fell. Yeah, she fell asleep, contemplating, going back and forth with yeah. herself. Should I do this? Should I not do this? For I don't know how many hours. And fell asleep is what her excuse is. So yeah, he had been in the store for hours, and he's doing laps on roller skates, wearing like a wedding veil, which I guess Target would sell, which is weird. I mean, um, it's it seemed like in the beginning Target was kind of like you know a Walmart where because there was like pet there was like right? fish tanks there. Yeah. And I even think guns, because there's a part where he's, like, sort of shooting a gun. I don't think that Target was selling guns back then. I mean, it might depend on the region, but I think where, where he got the gun was from the custodian's office. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it was it was William Forsythe's mm. property. Okay, like but yeah, it, it seems like, like this was a, a super target. <laughs> I mean, this is like but yeah, yeah, the they don't, target. They don't actually sell live, sell live animals anymore, but they probably no. did back 30 years ago. Yeah, because I like, mean, I don't, I mean, target isn't how it is now. What it's it was not much then. different, though. I mean, I didn't become... The food court's been minimized and usually transferred into oh, yeah. Starbucks now, but yeah. in like mini pizza huts or something like that. It just, um, it seems, you uh, of, you know, smaller. Yeah. I don't know. It just seems smaller, I guess, compared to the one that he's working in. Sure. I guess it depends on where you're from, though. But yeah, he, he's doing laps on roller skates and, like, virtually no clothes and, and a wedding veil and, and sees her and thinks that she might be, like, a mannequin or a figment of his imagination the first lap, and so he comes around and does another lap and sees her again, and mm-hmm. they're sort of staring at each other, and then, of course, he crashes into something. Yeah, he's always crashing into something, causing a million things to fall all over the floor. It's comedy, right? It's physical comedy. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't laughing. I, I know, but that's the intention, is... You know, it, it was giving me like more anxiety. <laughs> you know, <it> was <laughs> like, like each thing that fell. On oh, the floor. there's more stuff to clean up. Yeah, yeah. And we don't really see the progressive mess of the store that much. No, and well, because they're. I mean, the part when the robbers get there and they're they're now roller skating together, going yeah, around. Those two, are, they have they had their dance at that point. I think they no, have, right? They, it was the dance... Well, because... I don't know. They have their... Like, he makes her, like, that little TV dinner and the microwave. And yeah. Then there's, that's and where they steal they, plates and stuff. And that's where they water. have that talk. Right. They have, like, dinner um, but in the middle of an aisle. She kind of wanted nice, to be left alone. Nice romantic setup. Yeah. And so he's, like, going about his day working. And then she's perusing the aisles. And she's, like, in the music section... She picks something out, puts it on like a tape, mm-hmm. and starts dancing. Starts dancing on her own, and he sees it, and then he's dancing, and then she sees him dancing, and she stops the song, <laughs> and she's like, kind of like, "What the fuck? I don't know." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it, that, then they, they connect a little more because he was like, "Can?" Because she's like, "Is there anything you want me to do?" Because now I feel bad, and that's when he was like, "Can you dance with me?" Because you know. I don't know, homecoming, sophomore year. He talks about this story. Yeah. Where, he, like, in like homecoming, he, we, do you remember when we half danced at this song on homecoming? And she doesn't remember. But he's like, can you just dance with me? Right. 
and she's like, oh, I thought you were going to ask for something else. Yeah, he's like, well, first things first. And it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's like weird. Um, but yeah, they do the slow dance and then they kiss for the first time. Um, but then later on... She also, like, well, during that part, she also just mentions how she has $52,000 in her purse. And she wants and to she run wants away. And she wants to use that to run away. And will you run away with me type of a thing. I really thought that that would become a factor as well. With the money? Yeah, yeah especially since we know robbers are part of the story at this point. We've seen a couple insert shots of them, like, looking at things. We saw them steal the car from the couple and wherever that was. Um, so we've seen the robbers a couple times, and here she is talking about $52,000 in her purse. That doesn't become a factor. Like, doesn't she doesn't say, matter. hey, I have $52,000, just leave me alone. Right. And take this money. Yeah. None, right. none of that happens. They don't discover it. She just uses it when they eventually, like, leave at the end of the movie, I guess. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, like, weird that they made a specific note to mention that actually show the stacks of cash in the that's, store I was like, and then nothing again she has to have a big purse for that big pile <laughs> yeah. of cash yeah I just thought it was weird like it's a weird like MacGuffin type of a thing like a red herring that I, why did it exist why was why was that a thing and in the meantime we have this weird subplot two weird subplots I guess uh, for the two different dads um, one yeah. is the dad of Josie is working with the cop, the sheriff of the town, to search for his missing daughter. Um, and so, you know, they're patrolling the town together, and at some point the cop comes up to the target and, and um, you know, talks to Jim about the whole situation to say, you know, hey, have you seen Josie? And that's when he said, oh yeah, I saw her, like, yesterday we had a cup of coffee together. You know, that whole thing. Um, not letting in that she's in the store behind him right mm -hmm. um so not giving up her, her identity but then so i mean that's whatever i mean understandable but takes a lot of time out of the movie the other part that was really weird was the stuff with jim's dad and how he was having this weird guilt trip that was leading him on an eating binge the, i was like what's up with that i didn't understand because okay so the dad like is the one who is the like really mad that yeah. he keeps losing jobs he's the most aggressive the mom is like the pushover in this situation um their sister lives in the house who's older mm -hmm. but she pays rent and so like you need to pay rent or you're out of the house because you keep getting fired you actually need to pay for yourself if you're this old 21 years old and still living here <clears throat> and takes him to target Jim calls the parents from Target, like, you know, a couple hours into a shift before he meets Josie and, you know, wants to talk, but it's, yeah. you know, middle of the night, um, I guess. I mean, <laughs> they're it's probably asleep. 11, yeah. 12. <laughs> it's, it's late enough night. that they're in bed, um, but that wakes up the dad and he's just like racked with guilt all of a sudden that this kid on his first night of his brand new job that he set up is like lonely. And so he has to uh, go eat, like, fried chicken and peanut butter man. out of the thing and then go to a diner. And then and, you like, see him ripping up, like, bologna with a knife. <laughs> yeah, he can't even open up a package of bologna properly because he's so racked with guilt that his son has to Just work for half a shift. Just meat. And, yeah, and then going to the diner and eating more. I didn't understand that at all. 
it seems like this is an unfinished script to me. <laughs> a lot of weird loose ends. And that's like part of the ending. Like, like you know, like... Yeah, because the like two the shooting, fathers... The shooting, peop, you know, um, the, the ending is like really weird. And yeah, then they cut to the diner and see the two, two fathers. And then they escape and go away. Yeah. I don't know. It seemed unfinished. Um, we haven't talked too much about, I mean, we've mentioned the robbers a bunch. We talked about some of their stuff. I don't know how much there is to really say about the robbers other than I don't understand why they were doing some of the stuff that they were doing. I don't understand why they didn't just, you know, if their intention was just to rob the place, they have the guns, force them to be tied up and then like let them rob and then leave. Why didn't they tie Jim and Josie up? Yeah. Like the way that Jim did to them Somehow, near the end. Which I don't understand how he did that because they don't show it. Well, they show pro- that he yeah. like shot the shotgun through yeah. the through the through like the front desk or something. Yeah, through like, like the help desk or whatever. And then that scares the robbers and then the next time you see them they're tied like up a, on lawn chairs. Yeah, the cops coming in cuz what is it 7 a.m. now cuz how but are they They both come- have loaded guns, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't Nothing makes sense. They could have shot... Yeah, they could have shot at each other. I get it. Unless the the, uh, the robbers only had one bullet <laughs> in their guns. Yeah. Because they used it... Well, when, the, when they come upon the robbers, uh, you know, the robbers tell them to lay down face first on the ground and they have the guns pointing at them and then that's when Jim does his own storytelling. Yeah. Seems uh, like with the mob or the FBI or something. I don't even remember anymore. Some sort of drug cartel. Some story. Yeah, and then Josie is his uh, hostage and uh, that's when he convinces the robbers to give him his guns and the robbers are like, oh, those are just fake guns, or they're empty. Yeah, they're not loaded. But and then he gives some, them back. He gives them back, and I'm like, like okay. The barrel or anything. Right. Yeah, I was like, why? Or like, why are you people believing each other too much? I don't know. Yeah, or you know, yeah, just keep them with it, even if they are unloaded. Just no okay, one's like mine skeptical now. in this. <laughs> it's like okay, well then you won't mind if I just keep it. Right. Know. Simple little but things. But then they were like, oh, we lied. And they shoot one of the guns. And that's what it. scares yeah. them. And that's, yeah, that's when they get, yeah. That's when they sort of hide in this area. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the dressing room? The dressing room. Yeah, they're able to escape. And, and they come up with a random... Josie's like, I have a plan. Let me handle this. She's like, I'm going to convince... Th- them that I want to be a part of their plan. Right. And then when we're gathering all these items into the back of the car, I'm going to take the car and run off, but then come back and get you? Yeah. I was like, the robbers are still there. Like, what are you going to circle around the no, front? No, I think the original... But you can't. I think the original plan was that she was going to leave with them. Oh, uh, okay. And then find some way to get rid of them and then come back for Jim later. But Not even the same doesn't. day. I don't know if the intention was even the same day. But yeah, she, obviously plans changed at some point. Yeah. Um, 
but even before that, like, are they hiding in the dressing room in such a stupid way, too, where they're actually, like, lying, like, on the ground underneath the bench and, like, oh, yeah, the robber won't look here. Even if I'm they... looking under stalls, if I'm looking under doors, like, in a bathroom or a dressing room situation, You're I'm looking, looking under, under and, I'm looking under under and, and over. I would see. Yeah, and over. <laughs> but the robber only looks over yeah. because that's what the plot I mean, this requires. is, like, this is very wet bandit mentality. But, I mean, it's still, like, the complete opposite. I think first instinct is to go under and then maybe look over if you're tall enough to reach the yeah, door yeah. and look over. I would look under first, too, and then over. So, That's why I was like, they're gonna see them. But it's but also whatever. another way to, like, add some sexuality. Like, oh, do you want to be on top or do you want to be on bottom? Yeah, you know, that, that kind yeah. of stupid It's, dialogue. like, more awkward situations between... Josie and Jim. But, I don't know, at some point they, yeah, escape that, but they're able to get through and, and, I don't know, I don't even remember exactly how it all shakes down, but at some point, they're eating hot dog, or corn dogs, <laughs> yeah. and she's riding the mechanical pony thing, which is, which like, is like the everyone, iconic scene that I've seen of this movie. That's everyone's favorite scene that is attracted to women. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's what she uses to, uh, uh, you know, convince the guys that Hey, I'm, I want to be on your side. Aren't you so cool? Type yeah. Of thing. And what I found f- most fascinating about that scene was that Jim was eating his corn dog from the side, like a like corn, a corn, corn like cob. an actual corn cob. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Instead of like <laughs> instead of you know front wise, like yeah. other one, other every other person in the world would. Well, that because you would just get bread. It would just be breading first. You gotta take a big enough bite, and you're good. But then wouldn't it fall apart? If you take a big Have bite from the sun. Have you eaten a corn dog before? Yeah, but the way that Jim's doing it, wouldn't it fall apart if you're eating it sideways like a corn on the cob? Yeah, at some point. Like, the top part's gonna, like, weigh down. I don't know. I just thought it was weird that he was eating it from the side. Well, yeah, me too. I'm agreeing. I'm just saying, yeah. wouldn't it fall apart? <laughs> I thought you were saying don't eat it from the front because you're only gonna get bread with the first bite. No, if you eat it from the side, you're gonna get bread as the first bite. Nah. Unless you take a big chunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... Wouldn't that be, like, too hot? Because usually the first bite, you got, like, you got to eat the top so it can, like, air out. I don't know. I, eat... I always put ketchup on mine, so you got to, you know, you got to dip it in the ketchup. I'm not going to dip the sides in ketchup and then eat it. Oh, forget it. <laughs> We're going on a tangent about corn dogs. That was the most fascinating part about The corn dog. The corn dog. Like, why from the side? Like, the... I don't know. His character... Is not very he's well defined. He's trying to defined. be like the quirky guy. Yeah, he's like it's like this weird mix of Ferris Bueller and Ducky. Yeah, exactly. But like the worst components of both. Yeah. So. Because he even has like the hair. Yeah. Of like Ducky. Yeah, he has the Ducky the hair, the curl, and he has you know, I mean, th- when we're introduced to him, he's basically talking to the camera. But like it, the reveal Bueller. is that he's talking to dogs at his job before yeah. he gets fired for some reason that we don't know. Um, yeah, we don't know because he's just chilling talking to dogs. I'm like, why would you get fired? And then as soon as he's to... fired, the dogs are barking and he's like, see, the dogs love me. Yeah, I it's don't like, like was he, quiet, I guess maybe all he did. Yeah, maybe he was supposed to like pick up dog shit and clean the kennels or something and all he was doing was talking to them yeah he probably did nothing but i don't remember them saying a reason while he was getting kicked no out they just shop. kicked him out but yeah he talks to the camera like ferris bueller at least in a couple of scenes like that where it's like a fake reveal where it's not actually to the camera 
and he you know tries to be all cool for school but he's you know failing where was i going with that i don't know anyway jim gets <laughs> jealous of the whole plan for some stupid reason well, because she's, like, using her sexuality to seduce these two dummies. Yeah. And it's succeeding. Right. And he, I think he's like, oh, this is... Uh, Jim is probably like, oh, this is actually working, and I don't like it. I think he's honestly worried that she is going to leave with them, and that she's actually telling the truth. Like, Stockholm Syndrome Yeah, even like though she hour. told him... <laughs> Yeah, like that. This was the plan all along. Yeah, but I think she's just doing too good of a convincing job, and I don't know whatever. Yeah, he's getting jealous, and basically she says, literally, Jim, don't be an ass. Mm -hmm. Like, this is the fucking plan, dude. <laughs> like, you know, like subtext. Right. But this is the plan, dude. As don't they're be an like ass. taking boom boxes and whatever electronics, I was like freaking out with <laughs> Jim getting fired. <laughs> I'm like, the custodian's gonna come back. And be really mad. I mean, at least you have an excuse at that point. Hey, the store was robbed. Yeah. You know? That's easy. But I feel like he would still be fired. Oh, yeah. By allowing that robbed. to happen. And by the way, we're assuming that the robbers got in through the back. Right, while he was going back and forth throwing out garbage all night. Which, again, goes he against probably the whole left thing a... of, oh, you were locked out. Yeah, but in he store. probably left that back door open, like, the whole time. Yeah. Because you have to be able to dump the garbage at some point. Yeah. They can't get out through the front, I guess. Um, so they have to get through the back. And yeah, he's also worried, oh, you're going to be an accessory to this crime. But like, who the hell would know besides him? And clearly, like we established before, Unless if there are cameras guys, yeah. in the store... Those guys get caught with thousands of dollars of like electronics. It's also really easy to say, hey, these guys made me do this or else they would kill me. Yeah. So... But they don't show any of this. No. Um, so they're, yeah, they're loading up the stuff in the back. Um, and then as they are loading things into the car, Josie gets behind the wheel, drives off. Mm-hmm. How far she goes, I don't know. What the robbers do, they come back inside and come after Jim. He now has the shotgun and lures them to whatever yeah. desk through the PA system and then, you know, shoots them and then we have that weird resolution where he shoots at them and then as soon the as that shotgun happens... Do they, though? Does he call the cops? I'm assuming at some point he does call the cops. Probably before he does the PA stuff, but I don't know because they don't show it. I know, but then all of a sudden the cops appear, the two robbers are all, like gagged and tied up against like two lawn they're sitting in lawn chairs all tied up in like jump rope or I don't even know yeah but like before and we even see it. that we see that cut away to the diner so like they shoot it he shoots at them through the, the thing so that and then the very next shot is the, the two dads at the diner uh, okay so the two dads one you know Josie's dad is so tired because he spent the whole night looking for find his daughter and then Jim's dad who's still like eating his head off at the diner. Yeah. And, and then it comes back like... to the cops finding the people. Um, Josie comes back in the daytime to get him, like the when the store opens up again, I guess. Yeah, but wouldn't... So like a couple hours the later... Isn't the custodian... Wouldn't he need to be there for like questioning with the cops? But the custo isn't the custodian the one that open opens the door at 7 a.m.? That's that what, what you'd think. 
I think it's still Wouldn't locked at that point. would he have the questions? <laughs> I think it's still locked at that point, because I don't know if he exits the door. Yeah, she I comes for him and they just go. I think they're just on opposite sides of the glass. <laughs> but I don't think they show them going. I just think they show her coming back for him. I think they're on opposite sides of the glass, and they don't ever, you know... But they show the them... Together. Near the end, they show them what in that limo, maybe? Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's he comes later out, on, yes. And but it's he like just the next shot, but steps out, on. and then Josie steps out, and then those three kids that he was talking to in the beginning are like, whoa, he's the coolest dude yeah, ever. Yeah, he's in like some limo, and, and then like, they... he has an attractive girl with him. Yeah, and... Um, and then they're in L.A. They're in L.A. <laughs> sipping <laughs> cocktails by a pool. And then and Jim Wood appears. Yeah, he's looking the at the Hollywood sign. sign just, just the Jim imagining Wood. Jim Wood. <laughs> <laughs> and then freeze frame. The end. <laughs> the end. Uh, John Hughes freeze frame. And then the end. Uh-huh. Uh, it's such a weird ending because it, it seems like it's taking 15, like 20 minutes of stuff and mushing it into a minute of just random shots it was like oh we need to end this movie somehow and yeah they just did a it just wrapped up it's like oh oh geez we're out of time hurry up guys we're gonna... yeah let's just say they ran away and but yeah there's no like, it's like should we should we maybe take away like some of the 30 minutes of montages of you know yeah of him. no 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 <laughs> We need him stealing candy bars and watching TV and roller skating for at least a Solo, half hour. Solo and then do it again the same amount of time together. Yeah, because that's... Now they're connecting. Yeah. We need both of It's about of their connection. I know. <laughs> and they're clearly connected. I don't know. I, to be honest with you, I did, not mind, I did not mind their chemistry when they finally got around to having conversations. Yeah. And having chemistry. I thought the the two leads worked well together, um, but yeah, I didn't like the robbers. I didn't like the, <laughs> I, I they were just too bumbling and too yeah they're they're meant to be creepy and lecherous. You know, oh yeah, they're super like Dermot Mulroney. Dermot Mulroney. When I, whenever I saw like, him in a movie, I always thought of him as the creepy dude in Career Opportunities. Yeah, he has like greasy and like um, dirt stash, and he's like licking his lips and like, stuff and just leering at her. Yeah, he's a, he's very creepy in this movie. And then Kiernan Mulroney, who's you know real life brother, plays the other robber. Um, he's he's just kind of there. He's like the Daniel Stern. He's not like, as, it's like, very, like active and bumbling. Also, like, He's... Raising Arizona, you know, those yeah. two guys. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm wondering if they're Starring just... William Forsyth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I just thought of that, because, I mean, I was thinking of Dermot Mulroney just being very greasy and, like, pervy. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's definitely gives that type of a vibe. So yeah, a lot of stuff happens in this movie, but very little of it makes sense. And there's a lot of things that are set up that don't resolve properly, in my personal opinion there. So, um, hey, at least those three kids are happy though, right? Those three kids will tell the tale about Jim Dodge being the coolest guy in whatever town they grew up in. For real. Um, the soundtrack was also really loud and intense in this movie too like they're just overbearing at times with like the 
frantic jazz music that was used that was as giving the score. me. I mean, it was very all over the place because I was thinking like, this is kind of Twin Peaksy. <laughs> <laughs> I think like, it was meant to be, yeah, like fun and fancy, free, sort of like a Ferris Bueller type of a thing. But like some no. songs were like that, like the song that she was dancing to, right by herself that yeah, like he, the actual pop music they yeah include. the pop music and then like the the music that they played during his montages but like the in-between where it's like a lot of saxophony jazzy piano right it was, give, it was like twin peaks ish to me that was uh thomas newman doing the score which, uh, which i thought was interesting second time we've heard him i think first time was uh fried green tomatoes right yeah yeah um but yeah, it's it very different, but it's borderline obnoxious at times. But uh, it just it just takes over some of the scenes. Anyway, 15-time Oscar nominee Thomas Newman did the score. Oh, we didn't mention the coming attraction side because we watched this on VHS. And like, it was very... we're not seeing previews anymore. We saw like one commercial for Universal Studios Florida, which was different than the one we saw in Cape Fear. Yeah, but... That was such a 90s thing. Yeah. It was, you know, it go, made... go to the Back to the Future ride. I mean, the, the, every time we would watch a VHS, that I think that was just always the commercial. And then I wanted to go to Universal Studios so bad. <laughs> Especially to Nickelodeon Studios. That was my dream, and I never went. Oh, we did. Well, okay. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't super exciting to be honest with you. I remember a lot of hallways. And I, like, I just, just people talking see... as we walked through hallways. We didn't get to see any of like the sets. Oh, see, see, I want to see stuff. some sets, and I wanted to see someone get slimed. Yeah, we didn't see anybody get slimed. They talked about what the slime was made of. I think it was like applesauce or whatever. The, the common answer that people probably already know. And then at the end, the coolest part was that they played like a Simon Says type of a game mm. to recruit people to possibly be on Nick game shows. Oh, well, so like if you if you won the that. game of Simon Says, then you were eligible to be what like a know, double dare? interviewed, yeah, for Double Dare or whatever. The, so, I would have loved that as an eleven-year-old child. I was out way too early. <laughs> My brother lasted a decent long time, a uh, decent amount of time, but I. He's you know older than me, so he has better hand eye coordination, <laughs> yeah, better better listening comprehension. <laughs> uh, I was rooting for him, just didn't happen. So could have been on Double Dare. I think that might have been one of our last days on that vacation trip. So even if we were, you know, it wasn't going to happen. We weren't going to be able to stay to be on a game show, even if we made the cut. Um. So yeah, that was the only thing. No previews been on, on this VHS. Could have been on... No, I definitely could not have been on Guts. I'm just kidding. <laughs> of all the shows. <laughs> definitely not. So yeah, no previews, just the Universal Studios Florida thing. Go see the Back to the Future ride. I don't know if that's even still there. I think that's been replaced now by the I Simpsons mean, ride, right? Yeah. I mean, we went to Universal a few years ago, and it's been extremely revamped. Yeah. I don't think anything from the 80s or 90s are even around. I don't know. Like E.T., that's gone uh, i don't know is it i, I don't even I don't know, know. <laughs> i mean yeah it, it's tough to say whatever the commercial was interesting i just wish there were previews yeah um, no bloops i don't know we haven't seen a bloop yeah, blooper. <laughs> no <Yeah>. bloopers <laughs> yeah we call bloopers bloops so this is directed by brian gordon 
who is a prolific TV director and producer, has not done a whole lot in terms of movies. It's like this, and then um, another feature in 1995, Pie in the Sky, which had like Josh Charles, John Goodman, and Anne Heche, which I have never really heard of. But primarily he does like TV, like Wonder Years, Freaks and Geeks. He's done uh, Sports Night, uh, The Office. Um, he has a couple Director's Guild nomination wins. He has Emmy nominations for Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's been a writer for Fridays. Remember that? Well, well, we never watched it, but like the sketch comedy show Fridays that gave Larry David and Michael Richards their start in the 1980s. He was a writer for that. Um, he's a producer on Party Down, Portlandia, so he's been around. Um, he also wrote and directed a live-action short that won the Best Live-Action Short Oscar in 1988, uh, Ray's Male Heterosexual Dance Hall. Um, he did not win the Oscar himself, that went to the producers, but he was the writer and director of it. Long career, just not in feature films um, that hit theaters. John Hughes, where we talked about a bunch of his movies. Um, we'll talk about him more again when we reach 1991's Dutch and Curly Sue, which Curly Sue definitely performed better than this one, right? We said mm -hmm. uh, this one was number 88 on our list with a gross of about $11.3 million. Uh, Curly Sue did like twice as good. It's just like number 41 on the list. But I think like, I don't know, I, my, my theory is that because of the success of Curly Sue as opposed to something like this, and then also Home Alone from the previous year, I think that kind of led him down the path of really only doing, like, the hyper family-friendly stuff. Yeah. Because he did, like, Dennis the Menace after this, and, like, Flubber and other stuff for Disney, and, like, the Beethoven movies. So, right. it's like, you know. Uh, and he has stinker nomination awards for Dennis the Menace and Flubber. But. Yeah, like, Baby's Day Out. Yeah, we'll remember him for the, the good stuff, like right, the Vacation, 80s. and, um, you know, he did Mr. Mom as well, which we didn't talk about, and Sixteen Candles, and Breakfast Club, and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, Frank Whaley, as Jim Dodge, he was a Sundance winner for screenwriting the movie Joe the King, which was also nominated for the Grand Jury Prize that year. He's going to be in two more 1991 movies with Oliver Stone, The Doors, and JFK. He's in both of those to some capacity. He's been in Field of Dreams, Pulp Fiction, uh, IQ, Swing Kids, Swing with Sharks, and he's done a whole bunch of other, like, you know, character actor roles since then. Uh, Jennifer Connelly, Oscar, BAFTA, Golden Globe winner for A Beautiful Mind, Spirit nomination for Requiem for a Dream, uh, Fangoria Chainsaw nominations for Dark Water, Requiem for a Dream, and Dark City. Um, I think probably everyone knew her from Labyrinth. That's how I knew her most. It was kind of weird to see her in a non-child role. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah, I understand. Like, it's weird to see someone from your childhood Yeah. doing Just, adult stuff. Like, yeah, like when, when you exactly grow up and you see her as, for a dream. as like a 12-year-old girl in Labyrinth or whatever... That's your she mental was like picture of her, or something. Yeah. and she's not that far removed in terms of looks in this movie. So right, it's like kind she of still weird looks the I still same. Because like, yeah, you like, think okay, of that's like a twelve year old. Isn't her name Sarah? Sarah, yeah. And you still think of her as, like this was. I mean, I have something about how I can get to it now. I guess sure. Because I was trying to do like a thirtieth anniversary look up for this movie because there was something that Frank Whaley said 
last year about the 30th anniversary for this, but I was trying to find out like anything that Jennifer Connelly said about this movie, but I went down this like rabbit hole where I guess she turned down the role of pretty woman hmm. because of the um, story. I mean, I mean, I know you've never seen Pretty no. Woman, but do you know the you know the premise? I know that she's like yeah, a woman of the night, a prostitute, right? And yes. Like, but I apparently. Real society, Apparently, Jennifer Connelly turned that down. Because she didn't want to be portrayed as a prostitute? Well, that, and then I guess the story behind Pretty Woman was going to be darker. Like, I know mm. you've never seen the movie, but apparently the character dies at the end. But, I mean, it doesn't in the movie. Okay. But I guess that's how it was. It was going to be a dark movie. I see. And Jennifer Connelly was like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be... Plus, she was like eighteen at the time, because Pretty yeah, Woman came out in nineteen ninety. She's nineteen in this movie. Oh, playing like a twenty-one year old. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So she was eight, and then you know you have Julia Roberts. I think Julia Roberts is like three years older, but I think she just didn't want to play that super adult role at mm. like an as an eighteen, nineteen year old. But she does this, which is, I mean, it's not. This is yeah. This is. It's a John Hughes movie, right? Yeah, There's certain yeah. expectations for it, so um, that makes sense. Uh, but since this movie, she had also, and also like A Beautiful Mind, she did Pollock and Hulk. She's on the Snowpiercer TV show. She's going to be in Top Gun 2 whenever that comes out. Um, she's also a singer. She released a single in Japan called Monologue of Love back in the 90s. I saw that. And so, is it on, on YouTube? We can put it on the website probably. I can try and find it if we have it I, I just saw that because I just saw that she didn't know it was a <laughs> a hit that she didn't know anything like she doesn't know any Japanese but it's, she has a Japanese single out right I don't know how those things come about but they came about <laughs> um, and we'll see her one more time in Rocketeer uh, Dermot Mulroney we already talked about is one of the robbers he is an MTV nominee for best kiss with Winona Ryder in How to Make an American Quilt. Um, he's probably best known for My Best Friend's Wedding, probably. Yeah, he, he became like a rom-com dude. Yeah, he's also in stuff <laughs> After like all this. Uh, August, Osage County, and Young Guns, and Point of No Return. Uh, he had an arc on Shameless. He's been in the Purge TV series, so he's done a bunch of like TV stuff as well. Um, and he's also going to be in the 1991 movie Samantha. Kiernan Milroney, his brother, uh, is not as much of an actor. He does do some stuff. He's um, He did The Pursuit of Happiness with Frank Whaley. Uh, he's also done some writing. like He wrote the movie Sherlock Holmes' Game of Shadows. He wrote the story for the Power Rangers movie that happened not too long ago. Uh, and he's also been the narrator for some of the E! True Hollywood Story episodes, which I thought was interesting. Hmm. Not all of them. They have different narrators, but he did several. The dad, <laughs> the uh, the depressed eating dad, John, yeah. John M. Jackson, was Bud Dodge. He's going to be in the 1991 movies Eve of Destruction and Line of Fire, Morris D's story. Um, he's known as Admiral A.J. Chegwidden on JAG and has done that for like 188 episodes. I've never seen an episode. I've never seen an episode of JAG either, uh, but he's been on a bunch of them. Uh, he's also been in such movies as like Hitcher and Sid and Nancy and A Few Good Men. 
Um, and interestingly enough, his son, Connor Jackson, was an MLB player with the Diamondbacks. So um, I recognize the mom more than I recognize the dad, Jenny yeah. O'Hara. It's Dottie O'Dodge. Uh, we've seen her already in Cast a Deadly Spell. Um, she's also on a couple of TV shows. Uh, she's done some work on King of Queens. She was on the Dangerous Minds TV show, not as the lead. That was uh, Annie Potts that played the Michelle Pfeiffer role in the TV series of Dangerous Minds. Um, and she's also in a series called My Sister Sam, which was Pam Dauber from Mork and Mindy, uh, after Mork and oh, Mindy. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and then she's also been on, like, Mystic River and a whole bunch of other stuff. Noble Willingham, who was the Josie's dad, mm-hmm. uh, he's a spirit-nominated actor as well for a movie called The Corndog Man, which I've never heard of. Does he eat a corn dog sideways? sideways? <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to watch and find out. Is that like the, the daring character dog. choice that earned him the nomination? <laughs> <laughs> um, he's going to be in several other 1991 movies, including City Slickers, Last Boy Scout, and Sweet Poison. But we'll get into other credits when we talk about those, maybe. He's best known for Walker, Texas Ranger. He was C.D. Parker on that show for 155 episodes. So a lot of, like, longtime TV people in this one. And then uh, I'm trying to think of who else we need to talk about. Williams Forsyth, we mentioned him by name. I wish his character was in this more. Spirit nominated for The Water Dance. Uh, Fangoria Chainsaw uh, nomination. F- oh, I'm sorry, win for Devil's Rejects. And then we mentioned he was in Raising Arizona. He was in Dick Tracy. He played Al Capone in the Untouchables TV series. And he'll be in the 1991 movie Stone Cold and Out for Justice. Um, John Candy we'll talk about uh, later on, but yeah, we've already talked about him some in Delirious, but he's in this, and then that's about it. We already talked about Thomas Newman as well, so. Uh, no awards to mention, not even an MTV Movie Award. No, like, one. Best Kiss or No Best whatever. Kiss, No Best Dance, No, no Montage best... of them, like, roller skating. Honestly, the one that probably is most confusing is, like, not even, like, most desirable female is, like, an excuse to show the, the, the pony riding scene or anything. Wow. You know? Like, mm-hmm. nothing. So, I don't know. They missed out. Uh, so that brings us to your crime and pop culture. I got this from Yahoo Entertainment. Uh-huh. <laughs> it, it, like, the Googling for career opportunities just made me laugh because it was, like, top ten career. It was just, yeah. like, the way of looking for career opportunities, like, articles. I had to use, like, movie or 1991. Yeah. And the only thing about this 30th anniversary was about the cover of the VHS, I guess. And then how Frank Whaley, it's just someone interviewing Frank Whaley and his first thoughts of what the movie was going to be. And he didn't realize that the cover or the billboard was going to be so provocative. Hmm. And he didn't know that this movie was going to be considered that way until he saw the billboard when the movie was coming out where it's the cover of the VHS where she's like on his shoulders and you in her tank top. Right. And obviously you see like the only cleavage. Thing that's provocative about it is that she has cleavage. Right. The rest of it is like, yeah, it's basically like, 
they're both smiling and happy and like mid laugh. Yeah. With like a piggyback ride type of a situation. And he, I guess, the first time he saw that, he was just surprised of of the picture they chose because he's like, we we did so many poses together oh. for this movie, and he's like, I'm surprised they chose that, like the one she, like showing her cleavage, I guess. Mm. And that was pretty much what this article was about. That's what I was trying to find. And like, did Jennifer Connelly say anything about this? And there wasn't anything. And then I also read that John Hughes hates did, it. Hates it. Yeah. <laughs> he wanted to get his um, name removed from as being the writer from this movie. Yeah. And it was too late. Yeah. So too I think late. he agrees with some of my criticisms. Right. And, and who knows how much said. of that was in the original script versus what? I think ended up I mean a screen. lot of the good stuff, like them connecting together and them sharing their insecurities. That's very John Hughes yeah. writing. And then I don't know, like, because isn't this movie also written by someone else? No, it's just him. It's I, just oh, listed as him. But like produced, it's it was produced by him and someone else. But I don't know the Hunt Lowry, so I don't know if the producer had any. Yeah, it's other really, info. About, yeah, we don't know like, who controlled what, what stayed yeah. from the page, what was changed on set, you know, but what was cut out. It is known the floor. that John Hughes hated this. Music wise, I'm gonna do the top five for this week because I think all of these songs are kind of new hmm. that we've never seen these, or at least a couple of these songs are pretty new to me. Well, not new, new. As in, I've never heard them. Just new to this podcast. New to this podcast. Don't remember mentioning them before. Yes. As of March 29th, 1991, the top five songs on the Billboard Top 100. Number one was Gloria Stefan's Coming Out of the Dark. This was like that her first song after that bus incident. Her okay. bus crash. Yeah, yeah. Where she like nearly died. Yeah. I don't remember the song though. You don't know Coming Out of the Dark? Maybe I do if I hear it. I'll I'll play it. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm not singing it. <laughs> Number two is One More Try by Timmy T, which that's been on the charts before. Number three is This House by Tracy Spencer. I just listened to the song right before we recorded because I didn't recognize this, but I, I know this song. This is like another freestyle type of song. Like, One More Try by Timmy T, that's freestyle, and this was just, like, another one. Okay. Number four is Hold You Tight by Tara Kemp, which we've spoken about before. And then number five is I've Been Thinking About You by London Beat, which we've also spoken about. And Whitney Houston Watch. Um, so, what was it, last week... <laughs> Or last Earth week was the debut. Last, last week, episode. Yeah, last episode was the debut of the Star Spangled Banner sung by Whitney Houston, and that was, what, March 3rd? So the very beginning of March. So now we're, like, two, three weeks later, and I think it, was, it debuted at, what, like, number 38, I think? And now it's going up in charts, and it's number 20. Okay. I don't remember how high it goes. Do you? I think this is the it? highest I've this seen it as number twenty so far. So I mean, I think it kind of goes down in the charts at the end of May. So this probably had like a two month 
popularity run. Yeah, which is still amazing. I don't know. I think we spoke about this before. Has the Star Spangled Banner been released as a single to like anyone else besides her? I don't know. Okay. I don't think so, but maybe. Maybe they did that for all the Super Bowls up to that point, and this is the first one that charted, or the first I, one that we are aware of that charted. Yeah, I've never seen this. If anyone like, else even, out there knows, Even to, know. like, this day, I don't like, in the past 20 years, I've never seen it, but I... Yeah, cause, I mean, they always try to get a big celebrity to do it, but I don't think it ever charts. Like how but, this is. Yeah, but again, I mean, at the time, people raved about it. Right. Was, yeah. I mean, it still is the best. I think they still say this is, you know, number one out of the top ten. Right. Song, Star Spangled Banner. On the rankings and ratings, then? Sure. Okay. On your one to five star scale, where would you put career opportunities? I'm going to give this a two. Oh, wow. Okay. Lower than I thought. Well, okay. I was comparing this to, like, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Uh-huh. And I would watch, like, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead is much better to me, like, nostalgia. Like, I, I like that movie way more than this movie. I do, too. <laughs> Good. <laughs> like, I know I didn't give, like, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, like, a huge rating on my Even though, stories. like, the stories are not exactly alike, but kind of, you know, like, when it comes to, like, me watching stuff when I was younger and this, like nostalgia-wise, like, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead is more of, like, a cult classic and still good to me. Yeah, I mean, that was my first time <laughs> to seeing this it day. this podcast all the way through, right? And, like, it was still, yeah, enjoyable. That's a fun movie. Like, this better movie... Better characters, better yeah. moments. Yeah, like, this movie is only fun just watching Jim do his, like, montages of, like, going around that store. Yeah, and, and then be... them connecting. That could be in any movie. Right, but... Yeah, and their like connection just, is what I liked. Yeah. But that was it. Yeah. So a two. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, on my zero to four star scale, um, I'm actually probably going to give it like a... Mm, I think I'm going to do one and a half on this. I was thinking about doing a two, but yeah. yeah the more we've talked over things on this podcast it just yeah it just seems unfinished it seems sloppy to me um but every movie is worth watching once would you watch this again i mean weirdly yes like as part of like a john hughes festival sure i would i mean if i'm given the choice between this and like virtually any other john hughes movies from like the 80s and 90s I'm gonna pick something else oh yeah i'm yeah obviously but i mean i'm not gonna be like uh fucking hate this movie i'll never watch it again yeah i don't hate it i just i don't know there's so many more that are better and again if i had the nostalgia for it then i probably would have a different answer but i'm saying no unless it's like part of like a massive john hughes retrospective marathon type of a thing so if you out there want to watch career opportunities as of this recording in february 2022 it's available on digital rental vhs or dvd as always check your local listings as for us you can listen to us on all your major podcasting platforms please remember to rate review subscribe and tell your friends it really does help us out a lot you can email us at 1991 movie at gmail.com you can also follow us on twitter instagram facebook and letterboxd just search 1991 movie rewind or go to 1991 movie for the full list of movies along with show notes and more next year i'm sorry next time we are doing 
the best of or year in review episode. This was episode 50. We didn't mention that up top. We probably should have. So we've, we've gone through 50 episodes now. But shouldn't 52 be our one year? Yeah, but we took two weeks off. Okay. So. I thought this would be 52. Still 50 is a 51. milestone. 50 yeah, is a milestone. 50 is a milestone. So, I honestly didn't think I would last this long. <laughs> I didn't think you would last this long either. <laughs> if, if anything stops this podcast, it's... It's me giving it's, up. Yep. Um, but we've stuck through it for 50 episodes. One the full whole calendar year. year has gone by. So we're going to do a best of, a year in review of the movies we've talked about so far. We're going to give away awards. Um, we're going to have some fun categories mixed in in there. So join us for that. And then we'll be back in a couple weeks uh, with our first episode of year two, uh, where we're going to be watching House Party 2. So we'll see you then. Thanks.